Hi, I'm Rebecca Pete, And I'm Rebecca Cochran. And, and welcome, welcome to Woven, where we strive to be Christians living in the world with intention. And our prayer is that, to paraphrase Mary Zimmer, the Christ who knew Mary and Martha would show us the way of balance. Thanks, Thanks for listening. Well, welcome back. Welcome. Woo. Fun stuff. Woo. Yeah. Well, we'll see how fun. It is. Because we're talking talking about decluttering today. Yes. Yes. Actually, now we're going to talk about that in a second because we keep saying decluttered, but that's not actually what the name of your book is. Oh, it's uncluttered. And I want to know why. Yeah. Uh, Anyways, let's introduce Um, Courtney first. um, (laughs) As a surprise to no one, Rebecca Pete absolutely loves to declutter. I do. I do. It's fine. And I'm a magpie. So. (laughs) Yeah, it's fine. (laughs) Okay. So anyways, uh, that was a really bad introduction for poor Courtney, who's on the other end of this line. But um, we want to welcome Courtney Ellis to um, Woven. And she just wrote a book called Uncluttered. So Courtney, we are going to let you intro yourself. Like, just tell us about where you live and how many kids, you know, all the basic stuff. And then we can dig into the book. Cool. I live in Southern California in Orange County. I'm not from here. I'm from the Northwoods of Wisconsin. Uh, So it was a little bit of a culture shock, but in a good way. Did you know it's sunny here almost every day? It's amazing. That's crazy. Yeah. I live here with. Yeah. Yeah. We've had a lot of rain in Atlanta. So I'm actually. We have. We have. We have sun today. It's it's a beautiful day today. Yeah. 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 I, I did pay my dues with 30 some years in the frozen Midwest. So. Yes. um, So are you a real housewife of Orange County? Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With my hiking boots and my flannel shirts, I'm for sure. Yeah, they're coming to my house any minute. <laughs> okay, so married, kids, all that stuff. Yes, married. Um, I'm a pastor married to a pastor. Uh, so pray for our poor kids. Um, <laughs> we have two boys and a newborn girl who's three months old and on sleep strike. Um, so my voice is usually not so low, but I'm, I'm sleepy. Um, <laughs> And yeah, we, we live here. We've been here for about four years and great kids, great husband. And uh, it was a great life or so I thought. And that's kind of where the book begins. Awesome. Okay. And so what do you guys do for ministry? Um, you said you're both pastors, but a little bit more specific about that. We are. We are technically, uh, we're Presbyterian pastors and we are what's known as a clergy couple. So we are co-pastors. Okay, uh, okay. We're actually co-associate pastors at our church. We have a head of staff and then we're both associate pastors for spiritual formation and mission. So we do a lot of adult education, a lot of mission. Um, it's really the best job I could ever imagine. And when one of us is at work, the other one's home with the kids and vice versa. Awesome. So we see the church a lot. We see the kids a lot. We don't always see each other that much. We leave post-its for each other in the office like, hey... Love you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So is that why you moved from Wisconsin to Southern California? It is. I was a pastor in Wisconsin, and then my husband um, finished his PhD, and we were ready to do the co-pastor thing. Okay, gotcha. Awesome. That's very great. cool. Well, that could probably be a whole other uh, podcast if you want to come back and talk about working with your spouse. Uh, sure. Um, but for today. Yeah. It's, it's not for everyone. <laughs> no, it's definitely not for me. It's funny because my husband owns several small businesses. He's a serial entrepreneur and he keeps getting me to come work for him. And I'm like, yeah, no, mm-hmm. I feel like that's just a divorce from the making. Like, <laughs> I cannot work. For you. I feel sorry for the people that work for you. I love you, but I can't work for you. So I it is, it is absolutely not for everyone. We have friends who are co-pastors in DC and we asked, should we do this? Is this a good idea? Or is it going to make us hate each other? And they said, no, 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 you guys, you guys, we know you, you'll work great together, but you just need to make a pact between the two of you that whoever was home with the kids had the harder day. 
don't come home and complain yeah. about your meeting at church. No one pooped on the floor of your meeting. <laughs> That's really good. Yeah, that was good advice. It's I absolutely that. true. So if you're a stay-at-home mom, your job is harder. And I, <laughs> we both know that for a fact. Because our days home with the kids, we have awesome, well-behaved, very sweet kids. Man, they're exhausting. Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. Okay, so Uncluttered. Um, tell us why you wrote the book. I wrote the book because we had this beautiful life in Southern California. We worked at this church we loved. We had a healthy marriage. We're one of those couples, those irritating couples who love each other and like each other. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, healthy kids. And I was on the verge of having panic attacks all the time. And we couldn't figure it out because life was great. Mm-hmm. But if you're on the verge of panic attacks all the time, obviously life is not great. Something is wrong. Mm-hmm. And so we sat down and we'd been married about 10 years when this all was happening. And we realized that in those 10 years, we had gradually but continually shoved more and more and more and more into our lives. More possessions, more events in our calendar. We had all of these wonderful digital devices that didn't exist a decade ago mm-hmm. that now we're kind of running the show. And it was just too much. It was all too much. I couldn't put my finger on one thing because it was a multitude of things. And so we realized that we had to take a different path, that we're not designed to be overwhelmed like this all the time, that God didn't create us for lives of go, go, go and push, push, push and buy, buy, buy. And so we really had to learn uh, what God had for us instead. And that was the beginning of the story that became Uncluttered. So talk to us about Uncluttered versus Declutter. Yes, it is technically a word. I didn't make it up. No, I don't mean uh, that. I'm just, it's, it's interesting because usually when people are having this conversation, they say declutter, but you're saying un, and I want you to explain. Yeah, that's part of the reason is that it's used less often. So it's mm-hmm. more interesting. It's more eye-catching. Um, but there's also, there's, there's kind of a connotation to declutter that you're kind of um, organizing what you already have and unclutter has the connotation that you're getting rid of things. So it's the idea of less is more rather than, you know, my book isn't go buy more bins at Target and label Mm -hmm. them and then your life will be great. My my book is, do you need all that stuff? And if it's not on your shelf, will your life be better? Um, So it's the idea of paring down of having less so that God can give us more. Because when our hands are full, there's nothing more we can receive from God. But when our hands are empty and waiting, God's able to fill us with these deeper, richer blessings of life. Awesome. So this is a really popular topic. And I don't know if you knew that when you wrote the book, but now it's, you know, everybody's, you know, doing KonMari and, you know, the minimalism movement. And and she's not so much a minimalist. She's more of a declutterer. But like, like that there, this is extremely popular, like Christians, non-Christians, everybody's watching, tidying up. Everybody's reading books and listening to podcasts on simplistic living and minimalism and all that. So what, I use a phrase um, in the book called Christian simplicity. So how would you define that as different than what we're seeing that the world's doing with this whole phenomenon, which is not a bad phenomenon, but like, how, how does your, your angle different, I guess? Yeah, I love Marie Kondo. I think she's fabulous. So I'm not at all in opposition to Marie Kondo, but I think my book seeks to go a little deeper. So it's less about follow these 12 steps and your life will be great. And it's more about um, allowing God to order your life and order your priorities. Because I think, you know, I love how you guys described yourself. Uh, Rebecca, you're like, I'm a magpie. Like I like shiny, beautiful things. (laughs) And my book, my book is not saying don't have any shiny, beautiful things. My book is saying, look at what's in your life. Look at what's in your schedule. Is it helping you follow God more closely? or Mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. And for people who love beautiful things, 
things, those beautiful things can be an avenue to hospitality. They can be an avenue to joy. Um, but for people with different personality types, those shiny things are exhausting and they're a burden. So it's sit with the Lord and listen to the Lord. And what does God have for you? Because it might be less in the possessions you have on your shelves. It might be less in what you have in your closet or your schedule might be out of control and God might want to give you the gift of rest, um, but he can't because you won't slow down, right? So it's it's less about um, closets only and more about what areas of your life are too overflowing and can be pared back so that you can hear from God anew. I love that that's because I think I felt so left out in this whole movement. Like I love the idea behind minimalism, but then, I mean, I've done the thing where I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll do a capsule wardrobe and I'm just like, like sad. It just makes me sad. And I, it's not me. Um, but I felt like, well, I'm doing it wrong. And I, and it, it seems like I just kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater. Like, well, this is too hard and I can't do it. Like I can't have seven shirts and like three pairs of pants. So whatever. Um, so I love that you're, you're giving us like an inclusive way of like, everyone can do this. It's just, and it's so wise to do, um, based on personality. Cause I think like what really might work for you with like actually having a minimalist wardrobe or really decluttering like a certain thing will not work for everybody. So I think that's a really good point to make. Yeah. And I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. And we just, we had this so funny because right before we called you, we had this whole conversation about sentimentality and like having sentimental. And like, I literally have no sentimental connection to anything of stuff. Like I really don't like, I was telling her if my house burned down, that's what insurance is for. Like I literally, right, right. and she was like, well, what about your wedding ring? And I was like, I have insurance. I'll buy a new wedding ring. Like I just like have zero. And Chris, my husband made a comment about our house the other week. I'm like, I love our house. And I actually was hurt and offended. <laughs> he was like, well, this could be better. And I was like, it's fine the way it is. Like, why would you? And I was like, whoa, <laughs> like, <laughs> how dare you? How dare you insult our home? But, um, yeah, so everyone's real different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess my, oh, my next question is, is kind of the like spiritual root of a lot of this stuff. So one of the things that um, you talked about was the just in case mentality. So I, I don't struggle with this, but my husband does and my best friend does. And it's this idea of, you know, that they think they're being frugal. And I think sometimes they are like, you know, my grandparents who were generally grew up in the, in the great depression, they are frugal people. And like, but I, a lot of our just in caseness is not because of frugality. It's for, for other reasons. So what is kind of the, cause I, I would say that's one of the biggest stoppers for people in uncluttering is the just in case. And then what if I need this one day or, um, if I get rid of it, then like, what are people going to think? It's that whole like mentality. So what yeah, is like, how do you unclutter without evoking like a scarcity mentality? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I think that's a great question. I think we do tend to hold on to things because we may need this. And sometimes that's a, a, a selfish thing, but often that's a that's rooted in hospitality or that's rooted in wanting to care for our kids or, you know, this one grew out of these shoes and maybe the next one in the mm -hmm. same season will need the same shoes. And, uh, and how do we navigate that? But I think part of it is asking the question, um, why am I keeping this? And am I keeping it um, out of practicality or frugality or am I keeping it out of fear? Mm -hmm. um, because sometimes fear really binds us. Like I have to keep every single piece of every child's artwork forever because what if something happens to them and this little crayon drawing is all I have left. And, you know, you can make yourself totally crazy. And I'm realizing now I have three kids and I saved a little shoebox every year for my first kid. And now he's six and I have six shoeboxes and I have more kids. And I'm like, I can't do this. This is, I'm going to drown in crayon drawings. And so rather than 
worry or fear, how can we have lives that are rooted in trust and Mm. love? And um, in the book, I write about the minimalists. Uh, They have a great podcast too, and they take things way farther than I do. But their perspective on just-in-case items is if you can get it for under $20 in under 20 minutes, you can get rid of it. Mm. And Mm -hmm. we live two blocks from a CVS. You know, I can get almost anything I would ever need. And now I'm not hostage to the glasses repair kit that I used last (laughs) in 2007, right? Like I could get another one of those. Um, and to think of the space of your house, think of your things as, um, almost paying rent, right? Because everything you have Mm -hmm. has to take up space. You have to care for it. You have to dust it. You have to Mm -hmm. store it. You have to manage it. And when you have less of that to do, you have more time. So would you rather have more time or, you know, 10,000 books that you don't read? Although books are the one things I'll never declutter because they're special. <laughs> yes, you. I can't get rid of that. Uh, no, no, there's that Marie Kondo meme that was going around about how she said you should only have like 30 books on your shelf or something. That's right. like one of her things. And everybody was like lambasting her for that because... Get behind me, Satan. Yes. <laughs> I'm not paring down to 30 books. It's just not going to happen. And I, I say that in the book, even the chapter where my husband and I stopped shopping for a year, except for food and essentials yeah. like and books. Yeah. And we buy books. Yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. I know my husband, because I, I have a book problem. And um, as which I think this, you know, we all do. Yeah. The, the world that we're in um, career wise and stuff. But I w- love, love books. And my husband thought buying a Kindle would help that situation. It did not help. There's, I don't like Kindles. They, okay, yeah, yeah. So that's, a, that's another podcast. Really. <laughs> so not books. But yes, yeah. anyways, the scarcity, books. the scarcity mentality. I, I think that the idea that, um, you know, we can control our lives by keeping certain things or um, knowing that we have something just in case mm-hmm. um, gives us the ability to control an outcome of a situation. Um, I think is, I mean, I think that's a really big route that's important to get down to for sure. Yeah. So I want to hear a little bit more about your journey from I'm having panic attacks. I'm going to start decluttering. Can you go into that a little bit more? Like, what was that process? You said that you stopped buying any or non-essential or you stopped buying non-essentials for a year. Like what else? Like, talk us through that. Yeah, we couldn't figure out why I was so panicky. So we just kind of stopped doing everything that we could possibly stop doing. Okay. So that involved our schedules, that involved our smartphones. Um, but the the possession piece of it was that we had moved from this big old five-bedroom farmhouse in rural Wisconsin to a tiny two bedroom condo in California. And we'd brought most of our stuff. You know, Mm. we thought we did a really good job of like going through our possessions. And then we showed up in this little tiny condo and we were like, Oh no, this, we did not, (laughs) we did not get rid of all the things we should have gotten rid of. And it became symbolic for me. We had this beautiful old um, dining room table that had been my parents that they had given us as a gift that sat eight people that could be expanded to fit 12. And we put it in our dining room in this little condo and it spilled into the living room and part of the kitchen. And it just did not fit, but I couldn't let go of it. It -hmm. was my mother's, right? This was precious. And so we moved it into our one-car garage and it took up almost our whole one-car garage. And I started realizing that part of my panic was there just wasn't enough room. Mm -hmm. And in Southern California, you can't say, we don't have enough room, let's buy a giant house because you need to be Britney Spears to be able to do that. Um, (laughs) 
so it clearly, we needed to make a change in a different way. And so the first thing for me that had to go was this dining room table because we couldn't fit my, my son's little toy cars and stuff in the garage. We couldn't fit our car in the garage. Um, and I, I prayed about it and I, you know, I talked to my mom and said, I think the table's going to have to go and thought she'd be so sad. And she was like, yeah, we were wondering when you would figure that out. It obviously doesn't fit there. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh thank you yeah. for the freedom. And I put it online for sale. And within a few minutes, um, a pastor's wife messaged me and said, we are looking for a table like this for our church to host these big banquet dinners that we have. Um, can we take this table? It would be such a blessing to us. And it was like the heavens parted and God said, see, yeah. let go. It will bless other people too. Right. I was making myself crazy and God wanted to use this to bless a church, a ministry. I mean, how much more obvious could it have been that, uh, <laughs> that God had plans for this table? So we started to go through our possessions and to see what the space would hold, what the space could absorb. And when you're living in a tiny place, you know, my friends in Brooklyn are like, yes, um, that's different. And I think part of the challenge is if you're living somewhere with bigger houses, you'll fill them yes. because we yes. fill the space we live in. Yes. Um, but instead asking questions like, um, what, what is actually enough? What do I actually need? What do I actually use? What helps me to be hospitable? In our little tiny guest room in this condo, um, we thought we were being so welcoming to guests, but when they would visit, we'd have to move the classic Nintendo off the bed and the exercise uh -huh. equipment that we never used. And they'd be tripping over weights in the middle of the night and it wasn't welcoming. Um, but God calls us to hospitality and sometimes our possessions get in the way of that. So are your possessions helping you or are they hindering you in your walk with the Lord? I think is the fundamental question. And that level is different for everybody. Some people are called to minimalism, that Christian simplicity for them means that they have one jacket. Mm -hmm. um, but for others, you know, who people who love fashion, people who love style, that may mean you have 12 jackets, but your guest room has space for people mm -hmm. to be. Um, so it's a really individual question. And my book is much less how to and much more an invitation um, to open up those questions before the Lord and before your family and friends and say, how am I doing here? And how does my heart feel in the midst of all of this? Sure. That's really good. So one of the other things you talked about was decision fatigue. So can we talk about that a little bit about how, and, and you, you specifically talk about this in the clothing chapter, but um, about how, you know, having to decide what you wear in the morning is was causing fatigue, but just like in general, how does decision fatigue relate to the amount of stuff that we have and how we like live our life? Like, how does that, how does that become fatigue to have all of those decisions to make? Yeah, studies have shown that we make up to 35,000 decisions in a day. And even hearing that number makes me tired. Yeah. <laughs> and decision fatigue is this phenomenon that every decision you make drains away a little bit of your mental and emotional energy. So by the end of the day, we're not making as high a quality decision as we are first thing in the morning. It's why often at the beginning of the day, we're like, tonight I'm getting home, I'm going to work out and I'm going to cook a really healthy dinner. And then by the time dinner time comes, you're like, and it's pizza and I'm never running again. Yeah. Because um, you're yeah. tired. And yeah. so... As we begin to um, have the right amount of stuff in our lives, the amount of stuff that's life-giving and um, helps us to live with open hands, we make fewer decisions in a day. And then we have more energy and mental capacity left over to make important decisions, to connect with our spouse at the end of the day, or to parent our kids with intentionality and not just, um, I'm going to drive to the faraway target because then you're buckled in your car seats for longer. <laughs> and I can get a moment's break. Not that any of you would ever do that. I'm yeah, I don't know what you're that. talking about. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't know why I chose the dry cleaner that I did because it has drive-through service. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes. And buckling and unbuckling is such a deal. It's yes. such a deal when they're a little. Um, so yeah, it's the goal is to have is to use the energy we have for the things we want to spend it on. Mm. Um, and often that's not uh, you know which which necklace should I wear with this? Because often I was spending a lot of my energy just on that in the morning, mm-hmm. rather than um, things that were more lasting and more important and more life giving for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. So going from that, like realizing that, realizing that you're, you you kind of tell some stories in there about, you know, standing in the closet and how much anxiety it was producing to stand there and try to decide what you were going to wear that day and then feeling like you had nothing to wear. So from that, like one of the things we wanted to hit on is like, how did that transform your idea of a wardrobe? I love the whole idea of a uniform and all of that, but obviously it's not practical for everyone, but like how did, what shifted in you? Um, with clothing. Yeah. And like, what did you do? What do you do now? I'm curious. Yeah. The title of that chapter is the one thing Mark Zuckerberg and I have in common. Um, and it's not that we're billionaires. Um, (laughs) Or that you live in California. (laughs) Right. right. Uh, But he wears the same thing, basically the same thing to work every day, unless he's appearing before a Senate committee in there. And then he wears a suit because he's in trouble. Uh, But he just wears wears the same gray hoodie every day. And I, I... I am not a fashion person. Some people are. My younger sister is this beautiful, glamorous, like knows how to put leopard print, whatever with whatever. And she looks great. I don't have that gene. I was tragically born without it. Um, So the wardrobe for me was really exhausting. And I started to think, is there a way that I can have some sort of a uniform? So it's not so wearisome every morning to try to figure out what goes with what and does this look good? And, um, you know, I've been through three children now. So my body shape feels like it's always in flux and trying to figure out, oh, this fit two weeks ago and now it doesn't fit and it's just exhausting. And, um, I was leaving the house exhausted and frustrated and I thought maybe there's another way. So, um, it was Lent, uh, Lent was about to start and a friend asked me, what are you giving up for Lent? And I said, I don't know. Um, (laughs) I'm in a liturgical tradition where we, we practice Lenten disciplines of, of giving something up and I'm a pastor. So this wasn't a good answer. Uh, (laughs) And I'm not allowed to give up sugar anymore because it did bad things to our marriage. My husband was like, please, I need you to eat brownies to be able to live with you. I'm like, okay. Um, so I went home and thought about it. And I, I was talking to Daryl and I said, you know, my closet is wearing me out. Maybe I could just wear black and white for Lent. And he said, yeah, or maybe black, white, and denim because mostly you wear blue jeans when you're with the kids. So I said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that. And so I did. I, I put everything to the side of my closet that was a color and I wore black and white and gray and denim for the entire Lenten season, 40 days, and expected someone to notice or comment, especially my friends I see regularly. No one ever said a thing. No one ever noticed. Um, and at the end of Lent, I put on this bright colored dress for Easter Sunday. And then I got home and I said, you know what? I think I'm going to keep the experiment going. Like it's been great for me. Everything goes with everything else. I can get dressed in the dark. It's way fewer decisions to make. And part of my decision fatigue was, I don't know what colors go with what colors. Can you wear navy and coral? I don't know. Right. And then I show up at work and feel insecure. And um, it it was so life-giving for me. And it was a wardrobe that fit my life. Um, I'm Mm -hmm. a pastor. So I wear a lot of black at the church. I wear a lot of yoga pants at home. It was like win, win, win. Um, And (laughs) it's been a couple of years now. And besides the maternity clothes, which I just wore whatever, because that's what you do. Yeah. Um, that's my wardrobe. And it's been, it's been so great for me. And it is absolutely not for everyone. Um, but I think some people have things they just feel more comfortable in, and, but they think they need to change it up. They think they need to mix it up. They think they need this huge variety. Um, and most of us don't. 
most of us, if you are a cardigan person and you love cardigans, maybe that's your wardrobe is you're, you're a cardigan person and stop fighting it. I have a friend who said, I tried to make pants work forever and finally realized I'm a dresses girl. Mm-hmm. And if it needs to be casual, that's a maxi dress, right? That mm-hmm. was, that was her decision to just let go of things that weren't working for her. Um, and when we make fewer decisions, I found we have more joy. We have more grace and we make better decisions later in the day. So that was my change. My closet looks like I'm a mime. But that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, not I, only do I and I and I think the reason why Mark Zuckerberg and Steve Jobs and them do it, it's not just for the. I mean, obviously, I wish it was for more noble reasons, like you just explained. Um, you know, so that we can have more joy and grace for other people and all those things. I think theirs is mostly because. It, it takes up creative space too. So my husband falls more into that camp. My husband finds a shirt that he likes. He buys five of them and he wears them every day. And he, he has three pairs of jeans and five shirts. And he has more than that in his closet, but like that, and he, he finds the one shirt that he likes. So all of his t-shirts look the same. He just has a different color of the same t-shirt. And because he's such a creative person in like the business mentality that he, it, it frees up creative space in his brain, not to, cause he's not good at matching clothes. So like he, he has to think about it too much. And if he has to think about it, then he can't think about the things he needs to be thinking about. So I think that there's, there is something psychologically there about how, you know, if we don't have, to, I mean, a uniform is a uniform for a reason. Like yeah. places, yes. have, places have uniforms for their workers for a reason. My kids go to a school, they're in a public school, but they wear uniforms. Yeah, because, mine too. It's yeah, amazing. It's amazing. It's the best, I, literally the best thing on the planet. Like I, I, I mean, and both my kids' closets look the same and they're so close, they're so close in size that their polo shirts, like I have to, I have to look at, I have to look at them closely to know which goes to who, but I love it. Like it's, it's amazing. But the reason why they do it is because like puts everybody on the same playing field. Nobody has to think about anything. I mean, the studies have shown that the uniforms, you know, help with discipline issues and all of those things. And, and there's something to be said for that. Like there's something to be said for, um, uniformity. So I have to speak up though for the maximalists listening. Okay. Because I've done similar <laughs> things in my closet, but I will tell you what has worked for me. And I just say this as a counterpoint, maybe for those of us who are like, but I, I can't like, I can't wear gray and black. Like that would not be me. So for me, I'm a stay at home mom. We do our podcast, but like I noticed a lot of my daily creativity could be expressed through getting dressed and cooking dinner. And that sounds Absolutely. horrible to some people. Like some people are like, I don't want to cook dinner or like figure out an outfit. But for me, I found that when I tried to do the minimalist thing or those sort of things. I just didn't feel great. And so I've had to learn, but, but the point I'm trying to make is I still had to declutter. It was just in different ways. So like, I still wear a ton of prints and like ridiculous things. But what I did was I, I took time and I figured out like, okay, what silhouettes actually work for my post twins body, right? Yes, I was absolutely. buying a lot of clothes that like maybe used to look good on me. And now I have this kangaroo pouch and like, so I got to adjust. So I figured out like kind of like what cuts work for me and then I just have fun within them. And so even going to get dressed, I'm not going to like pull out like I don't have like five kinds of skirts and like billowy tops. I have like very the same cut of pants and then I have different shirts. And so even if you're like, I don't want to do it with color, you can make a uniform wardrobe or uniformity out of like silhouettes and cuts and things like that. So that, you know, like I'm wearing a glossy top, so I have tight pants on or like whatever it is. So I think that there is a lot of room for that. For sure. Um, for sure. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm kind of the, I'm a little bit more of a minimalist, but, and then I just don't have a lot of different kinds of things, but I also like clothing doesn't give me decision fatigue. 
Like, right. like uh, other things give me decision fatigue, but that doesn't give me decision fatigue. And so like I can grab a shirt and pants without even thinking about it. So, so I don't have to like go super uniform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Cause that's not the area for me. We were talking about before we got started, the area for me is like cooking, like cooking gives me meals every day. Give me decision fatigue. So yes. literally my kids eat the same thing for breakfast every single day. Yeah. yeah. On the weekends, we might throw something fun in there, but we eat the same thing for breakfast every single day. They pretty much eat the same thing for lunch every single day in their lunchbox because I don't want to have to think about every morning a different lunch. And then dinner, I have like a rotation of like 10 meals. Like, because I just don't want to think about it. Like, because right. that gives me decision fatigue. And then we order a pizza yeah. five days a week. And that's brilliant. That's brilliant. And I think that's the key is to look at your life and think, where do I feel tired? Where do I feel yes. this decision yes. fatigue in a realm that I can control? And maybe it's the closet. Maybe it's the meals. Um, maybe it's grocery shopping. My husband, when we were first married, I sent him out for toothpaste and he came home with no toothpaste. And I was like, what is wrong with you? And he goes, well, there are just so many kinds. I couldn't pick one. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh. So I learned I have to send him to Trader Joe's where there's one kind of toothpaste and then he's fine. Yeah, right. Yeah. But shopping for him causes decision fatigue. Mm. And so to think, where is that area of my life that I feel so exhausted? And how can I live into this mindset of simplicity? And what a blessing that is. You know, kids don't mind having the same breakfast every day. And I love your simple wardrobe that it's not about color, but it's about these are the silhouettes that work for me. And I'm going to stop buying silhouettes that don't because then it's much simpler to get dressed in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I think I really appreciate your approach to this topic, because I think there's been a lot of prescriptive stuff that I've read and I just am like... It's just, it's so over, that gives me decision fatigue. You want to talk about decision (laughs) fatigue, reading too many articles on minimalism and then none of them working for me. That gives me decision fatigue. (laughs) But I love it. This is such a like, you're just offering the question and you're giving freedom to make whatever decision feels good to you. And that's just so empowering. Because I think sometimes the minimalism thing, when it's not done well, can seem very like disempowering or like you have too much, you bad American, like put it all away and, you know, live like a, I don't know, monk or something, but, but that's not at all what you're saying, which I really, really appreciate your approach. I think the the goal is Jesus and freedom, not not be like me. Yeah, 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 exactly. I love that. I think that's the, I love the freedom aspect. Like, so what is it in my life? So I think it's starting for like, you have to reverse the question, Mm -hmm. not like, what do I need to get rid of? But it's more of like, okay, so what do I feel chained to? Mm-hmm. Like, what, where, what, like, if I assess my life, what, what areas do I feel bondage and where I need, feel like I need freedom from? And then you take that and then you go with, how do I unclutter that? And how do I work on that? Um, so there's the other issue. And I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday because we were just discussing this whole um, idea of uncluttering. And she, she was like, the problem that I have is I unclutter some area, say I unclutter the playroom or I unclutter a closet, the coat closet. But then once it's uncluttered, I start buying stuff again, you know? And so how do you, how do you, what do you do next? Like, so you've uncluttered your, your clothing wardrobe or you've uncluttered the garage or whatever, how or do your you, schedule or your schedule? <laughs> yeah. So you've like, I'm going to say no to all of these things, but then things start creeping back in again. And why does that happen first off? And secondly, what can we do about it? Yeah, I I was midway through the book and there's a chapter called Stop Shopping and Roll. And I realized that we had 
we had uncluttered and our closets were open and our shelves were open and our schedules were open. And then stuff just started appearing. And I was like, okay, where's this coming from? Is this, you know, kids goodie bags at birthday parties or hand-me-downs from people They're at church? Or where- I'm sorry. Can I interrupt you for a second? Well, everyone stop giving my kids favor bags. Can Please, for the love of all oh that is good. Oh my God. If yeah. I have one more plastic bracelet. Anyway. Okay. Sorry. I- yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> This is totally a, a little tangent, but I had a friend a couple of years ago who said, you can, if you buy them in bulk, you can get those little golden books for $3 a piece. Oh. And so that's what they do at birthday parties. Every kid gets a book. That's and so that's smart. what we started doing and they love it. They read it. And it's one thing. It's the yep. same amount of money as you spend on all the plastic garbage. It's useful. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I, anyway. I, only do, I like that. I only do consumable things if we're going to go on this tangent. Yes. I only do that's even better. Things. So bubbles, um, yes. crayons candy but like it has to like be consumable it can't yeah. take up space yeah Anyways, that's so good okay sorry um right now that the uh, my train has left the station um oh, oh <laughs> i have a newborn oh Sleep the, the things real. we're bringing things back into our house yeah oh yes our shelves started to fill again and i was looking around for who i could blame and then i realized oh it's me i'm buying things this is all my deal yeah. my husband's not a big shopper my kids were too young to have a credit card this was me um and so i started to ask what what is going on right i i've learned all the freedom and joy that comes from having less but i'm the one who's bringing in more what's my deal and so i really had to sit and and think through you know what is behind those impulse purchases that i'm making and i'm not a shopaholic but i was still buying things i didn't need there were clothes in my closet that still had the tags on them there was stuff on the shelf that i was like well it was on sale so i thought i'd mm-hmm. and i realized that part of my hunger was for this instant gratification of um of something new. I wanted something new in my life. And I thought, oh, that's bad. I shouldn't need new things. I should be satisfied with what I have. But the more I read in scripture, the more I realized that God has created us for a love of newness, that it's okay to love new things. In fact, the very end of the Bible, Revelation um, talks about how when God returns, when Jesus comes back, one of the things is I will make all things new. Behold, I'm making all things new. Your bodies that have worn out, the or the earth that has worn out, all of these things that are old and worn, I'm making them new. And so the fact that I wanted new jeans wasn't inherently bad. Um, but the fact that I had six pairs of jeans and still wanted new jeans when I didn't need new jeans, that was bad. Um, so I had to... I had to really figure out um, what deeper and more lasting and slower pr- pleasures would help um, would help me satiate this deep hunger that I had. Um, because a new pair of jeans feels great for like an hour, mm-hmm. right? And then you bring it home and you're like, yeah, I got to shove that in the drawer. It doesn't really fit. Um, but what I was really hungry for was newness. I was hungry for friendship. I was hungry for creative expression. And often as moms, we don't get many outlets like that. You talked about how how cooking is Mm -hmm. fun for you like that. And I totally agree. There are days I'm like, I'm making snowman pancakes because I have to make something (laughs) that is beautiful in my life. Um, And so to start investing in those deeper pleasures. And so I said, you know, I'm hungry for, for friendship and we can go to the mall or we can go on a long walk and talk about our lives and talk about our families and what's going Mm -hmm. well. I'm hungry for creative expression. So I could buy that new trendy necklace that I'm going to love for 20 minutes, or I could start working in our garden and maybe we can grow some Mm -hmm. things and those things could be useful and edible and and fun. And my son was like, we have kale. And I was like, yes, my son's excited about kale. You're so California now. (laughs) (laughs) 
great. <laughs> Tell your friends. We're going to go juice after this. <laughs> Um, and so it was investing in those deeper pleasures, which is harder because you need to be more intentional because they're slower. They're slower mm-hmm. things. We, we have a piano keyboard that's been in storage for a couple years and we moved it into the living room and my husband who does not sing said, we need to sing more. We need more music in our lives. And so after dinner with the kids, uh, we sing. And sometimes that means the two-year-old has a guitar and is yelling and the five-year-old or the six-year-old is batting a balloon around the living room. But mm-hmm. we're we're investing in those deeper pleasures. And I've found that when I invest in those things, I have less of a hunger for the instant gratification mm-hmm. because my tank is being filled up other ways. But it's still, it's an ongoing struggle. It's an ongoing process. You can't live in America and not have clutter creep. It's it's a constant, yeah. Uh, yeah. You've got to re, redo and renew all the time. And that's okay. Well, and something that helped me, I follow this woman on Instagram. She's Stacious. I'm going to butcher her last name, but she does like this thing called Stacious style school. And she teaches you like how to get dressed, but she's all about like thrifting and secondhand and stuff. And she just, she had this tip where she's like, like for someone like me who wears a lot of like statement stuff, she's like, put your stuff in a box and put it somewhere and forget about it for like a year and then put kind of like you do with your kids toys sometimes, you know, like you just remove them from the room. But, um, I've been doing that and it's really fun because there are things you're just like, man, I've worn that a lot and I want something new, but you can totally just shop your own house. So if you know, if you can understand the psychology of like, I'm wanting something new and like, maybe you are in a day that you do want a little instant gratification, you know, I mean like, you know, we can't, there, there needs to be a little of that fun, you know, it's like the absolutely to the ice cream shop proverbially or whatever, but you can get creative with the things you already have and just like pull out necklaces for a season or pull out things and just store stuff and then keep, you know, rotating back in, which is what I do with my kids when they're younger. We're starting yeah. to like come out of the toy phase a little bit. See, it does get easier. You start getting <laughs> rid of toys and then they want video games. But anyways, that's a story for another time. We're not talking about technology right now, but, um, but like, uh, the rotation of things because mm-hmm. things can be new if we put it away for a while yeah. and bring it back. So that's, um, that's good. Yeah. So, so what's next? So like you've uncluttered what, so the second half of your book, so you've talked about how your journey of uncluttering the areas of clothing and technology and all of those things, but then what is the, the lasting effect of that? The Wait, can I ask a practical yes. question? Can of you course. remember that one? I sure can. I'm just curious what you do with your kids' clothes. How you handle... We keep all of them forever. No. <laughs> Are they maybe in like plastic garbage bags pouring out of your guest closet, perhaps? Uh, no. Well, <laughs> like it's, have? we have two boys and a girl. So now okay. when the youngest boy grows out of things, those go right off to Goodwill. Um, okay. But yeah, we, we save them between boys if they're not too wrecked. And we've got a bin in the closet that they're close enough in size that it's usually just six months or so between. Mm-hmm. Um, so we move them to the bin and then we move them to the youngest and then we move them to Goodwill. Yeah. Um, but it's hard right now with the, with the baby girl because she's just grown out of her first set of things. And I'm like, oh, I'm having feelings. I'm having I feelings know. about these little girl clothes. So I'm calling my sister like, are you going to have another baby? Is it going to be a girl? Can you make a plan for that so I can ship these off to someone I love? Yeah. Um, but it's hard. Kid clothes are hard. But they do. They will take over the whole world if you let them. And so we've really had to, we've had to pare down. And I've had to ask, what do they wear? What do they like versus what do I like them to wear? Which is sometimes different. Yeah. And keep a couple of mommy's favorite dress shirts and jettison the rest because yeah yeah, they share a bedroom and they share a closet and it's got to fit 
It's got to yeah. fit the space. So I definitely, so for me, be, because I do like the, the stuff is fun for me. So I have lots of systems, but it definitely the, cause I only have a boy and a, I mean, I have a girl and a boy, so nothing stays. Um, and I literally, it, if they put it on and it doesn't fit, I take it off of them. And it goes into the Goodwill bin. Like I yes. literally, like we've it, always got a bin going for sure. Not, it just never goes back in the drawer ever. Mm-hmm. Yep. It doesn't ever go back to the, in the drawer. And I, I pretty, I get rid of everything. One or two of my daughter's nice things, like nice dresses that I've bought, go to my niece. But other than that, like it, I just, it just, it all goes because what happens? What I found happened is I'll be like, oh, that's too short, and I put it back in the drawer. And then right. you're mixing all of these clothes mm-hmm. that fit and don't fit. And it was driving me like keeping up with the kids outgrowing clothes is a full time job. Um, even if you're simplistic about it, it's still a full time job because yeah. they're constantly growing and constantly changing and I will say because we talked about earlier uniforms at school have made a huge impact oh, it's on so that great. because like li- literally my kids have like a couple of outfits that aren't uniform related yeah. so it's it that has so, that has simplified life in general but well Courtney, um, I like what you said about what they actually wear because like yes. my daughters are the girliest and they were they literally want to wear a tutu every day and I was like no you know, you're going to school and you're going to play. So you need to wear like pants and a t-shirt. I just like, had it in my head and they just wouldn't wear any of it. And I was like, I'm just going to stop buying t-shirts. They don't wear them. They wear dresses. They're just right. like, their dresses. Re- like, I don't ca- like, you know, but it's been an adjustment for me to really be like, Oh, you're your own person. And I have to like, do what you want. Okay. Well, here we go. <laughs> but so it helps me to just be like, okay, I'll go buy these absurd tutus that look ridiculous, but like, that's what you want. Yeah. And then right. I don't buy all the other crap they won't wear. Yeah, and then it just sits there in the closet. Yeah. Otherwise, everyone's frustrated, and and for what? Yes. You know, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's there's bigger hills to die on, and the Tutu Hill is not the one to die. Yeah. On. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay. Sorry. No, okay. Now, now we can go back to. Okay. So now what? So we've uncluttered, and, and we've talked about why we want to fill the space back up again. But why are we doing this? And like, what could our life look like in exchange for this like cluttered, hustled mentality? Right. I, I, it surprised me in writing this book because the first half is called The Freedom of Less. And I thought that would be the whole book was letting go, giving up, letting go, giving up. And then I, as I was writing and living this book, I realized um, that it's not about less. It's not about giving up. It's, it's the fact that we cling to things and we hoard things and we hold on to things, but God wants to give us things that are so much better and deeper and richer and more joyful. Um, but when our hands are full, God can't give those things to us. When our schedules are full, God can't give those things to us. There's just no space for us to receive them. So the second half of the book is called The Grace of More. And it was all of these surprising things that God began to fill my life and our family's life with when we had this space and the ability to receive them. So it was things like hospitality and worship, the gift of Sabbath, actually mm-hmm. taking one day as a family for rest, um, which sounds so radical and countercultural, but is the one commandment that we're fine just ignoring. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And and how much better and more beautiful our lives became and our marriage became and our family became when we had the space to receive these things from God. So um, I didn't intend to write that part of the book. It was a surprise, uh, but it was the most wonderful surprise. And um, I think that that is the key to Christian simplicity and why it's a virtue and why it's different from minimalism, which is kind of about, um, I only have one jacket, but it's this pristine leather, you know, $600, like whatever, very best jacket in the world. And Christian simplicity instead, instead says, no, what is enough? Because God has more. 
um, that there's more that God wants to give you when you can receive it. Um, and Christian simplicity is not about this navel gazing. What do I want and what's good for me? It's about this outward focus of, um, God's going to meet me here. And then God's blessings are going to overflow from my life to the life of my neighbors, to my community, to my church, to my kids. Um, we didn't talk much about technology, but when I when I started putting boundaries around my use of technology, the first thing I noticed were how great my kids were. Um, when as before, they were kind of bothering me because I was working on a blog post or I was doing something on social media and gosh, they were annoying and they were loud and they were rambunctious. And when I put that in its proper place, I realized like, gosh, these kids are amazing. Like they're a blessing. And yeah, they wear me out some days, but I could see them as they were rather than as an obstacle to me getting what I wanted um, in the digital world. So uh, there were good things ahead. That is such a word. Yeah. Well, and I like what you said, putting it in its proper place. Yes. So you're not saying that we should give up our phones and have a landline. Yeah. You still have an iPhone. Yeah. Yes. So, so I think that that's the key too, is like, it, it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about minimalism and it's not about getting rid of everything, but like, finding the proper place for things like, you know, there are blessings in social media. There Absolutely. are, and there's parts of our jobs. I mean, mm-hmm. you work for a church. I'm assuming that includes having to email and do all of those things. And, um, you know, I, that I, we wouldn't have a podcast if it wasn't for social media. So, right, I mean, right. you know, like, so, so we can't like completely get rid of it. All my kids, you know, school communication is mm-hmm. through social media. So I can't, I would totally be, you know, out of the loop on a lot of things. So it's just finding, so how, I I guess we will go into this for a second because we're going this direction. How did you put that in its proper place? It it really helped me to realize that it wasn't just my willpower that was failing. Because I think that's the trap we get into is I'm going to be with my kids today. I'm going to be really present with them. I'm not going to be on Facebook. And then you're like, oh, just a second. Oh, just a second. Oh, I'm a bad person. I was on Facebook at the park with my kids. And um, I started to do a lot of research and realized that for every screen that we're looking at, there are thousands of engineers on the other side who get paid money if we click, if we scroll, if we go to their website. And so it wasn't just me versus my phone, which is often how we think of it. It's me versus thousands of people who have advanced degrees in marketing and communication who are trying to get me to click. So I realized it couldn't just be my, be my own willpower, right? That's more decision fatigue. That's more exhaustion. And it was this kind of shame spiral of, oh, I shouldn't right. have, and I did, and this is bad, and this is terrible, and I'm bad, and I'm terrible. Um, so what my husband and I really thought about it and prayed about it. And, um, I realized I just had to unload everything that wasn't absolutely essential for my phone. Mm. So my phone is now a phone. <laughs> it's a camera. I can text and it's got a Bible app on it and a GPS. Cause I get lost all the time. Um, and that's it. I can't get on social media on my phone. I can't get on the internet on my phone. So now I'm able to still do social media and things like that, but only when I'm at an actual computer. Um, and recently I took it even a step farther because I have this book launching and there's a lot of stuff going on on social media. And I told my husband, I have no self-control. Um, I need you to change my passwords and don't give them to me until the kids are in bed. Just log me in after the kids are asleep. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's smart. And it's been great. It's been great because now I feel like this is this fun reward at the end of the day. I spend a little time on it. The notifications are still there, right? No one's Mm -hmm. died. If someone's dying, they'll call me. Um, I hope. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But it means I'm not making the decision over and over again. Should I check it now while they're napping? Should I check it now? Should I do this? And I've found that my creativity is returning. I'm less tired at the end of the day. And I still get to enjoy the blessings and the fun of social media and email and all of these things. But when I'm away from it, when I'm out, when I'm cooking, when I'm at the park, when I'm driving, Mm -hmm. um, I can't get to it. 
And so it's not a decision. It's just not available. And it's been tremendously, tremendously helpful for me. That's yeah. a great, that's a good balance because I mean, let's just get real. you you just launched a book. Um, your publisher would not be very happy with you if you got off social no. media. Yeah, that would they'd, not. They'd, ha- they'd have thoughts. Yeah, they'd have lots of thoughts <laughs> about that. So, <laughs> but you've relegated it to its place. And I think that's, I, I think it's this, the whole thing is this control. Does your stuff control you or do you control your stuff? And, yeah. um, and obviously God controls you and you should control your stuff, not it controlling you. And um, I mean, yeah. This yes, is, we, we were talking a lot before we got started because Lent's coming up and we're going to do a, a, a Lent episode, just the two of us about like what we're giving up for Lent and all of those things. And so this like has kind of helps to think about like, what is controlling me? Mm-hmm. Like what yeah. if I look at my life, like what has a, a hold on me? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know. Yeah, it sounds real good to say I'm going to give up chocolate, but does chocolate really have a hold on me? And some people, it might have a hold on that, but it doesn't have a hold on me. But like, that would be the easy thing to give up, you know? But like, what is it really that has a hold on me that like I'm grasping onto that like Jesus isn't going to be able to fill me up during Lent if I'm like this with something? What is that something? So yeah, and I really like your reminder um, just of what we're up against. And it makes me think not just with technology, not just with like the people behind that marketing, but all, I mean, that's part of, that's part of why, I mean, if you ever like are bored, Google how Target sets stores up and there is like science behind why you spend a hundred dollars every single time. And it's, it's all, I mean, all of that is working against you. And I don't say that to be like defeatist, but just to say like, go easy on yourself. Cause I do, I can totally get into that shame spiral, especially with my kids, because I do the same thing. And when I'm on my phone and I want to be on my phone and they're like annoying me when really I'm just not being present. And that's what kids do when they know you're not paying attention. Um, and it's, but it's so hard and you're like, well, what is wrong with me? Am I the kind of person who doesn't care about spending time with my kids? And it's like, no, you're not. It's just that these things are literally engineered for you to act that way. So that's just such a good reminder. Um, and, and, a kind of a call to take your own power back, I think, in a way, and to say, like, yeah, these things will try to control me. They just will. And they're probably going to work. So I need to really <laughs> put up good boundaries and be intentional about that to yeah. kind of have your own power right. back. Because that doesn't feel good to be addicted to something. Right, right. And even find ways to invite people in to help you with yes. that. So it's not your decision. There are days I've called my husband and said, I just need my social media password for a second. And he'll say, why? And then I'm like, because I need to check a thing. And he's like, why? You know, and he's not being a jerk about it. Yeah. I have told him this is yeah. what I want, you know, and, and sometimes it's like telling your husband, don't let me get the epidural. And then you're screaming in labor. Like, I was literally I- <laughs> just going to say the same thing. That was exactly right. what I was But thinking, he's yeah. reminding me of in that moment when my will is weak, he's reminding me of what my deeper will is yes, and what yes. God has called me to. And I'm so grateful. And even in moments where I'm like, no, really, he's like, I'll give it to you. But is this what you want? Oh, no, fine. Right. (laughs) Love me a little less. Why don't you? Um, But that we need people in that space with us. And that might be giving up passwords that might be saying, you know, I realize I have a problem at Target. So you're going to be my accountability partner. And if I go in for detergent and buy anything else, I got to drop it at your house. (laughs) These new jeans are now yours. Um, But to invite friends, invite spouses into that space with us. So it's not just on us because deciding not to go on social media for a day is another form of decision fatigue right? Because every time you feel like it, you have to decide again. 
So I've eliminated that decision entirely. That's um, really and it's good. been great for me. That's yeah. really good. I have this, uh, we were just talking about um, what we were giving up for Lent. And I'm not going to reveal what I'm giving up for Lent yet because we're going to do that in another episode. Tune but, in later. <laughs> but, um, but like the, the, the thing that I want to give up for Lent, um, I noticed that I do more of when my husband's out of town for work because there's nobody there checking in on me. Um, and so that's great because like that eliminates that with him being a part of that um, because I notice because I'm always complaining how tired I am and he will remind me of why I'm tired. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm like, so when I'm doing that thing, I, um, I, if he's there, I'm going to, I remember, Oh, he's going to, he's going to remind me of this because he knows what I'm doing right now. But when he's out of town, it's easier to, for me to get into that, right. Into that yeah. numbing behavior. And because he's not there to check me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, and I think sometimes I'm a very independent person and I'm a very strong little person. And I, I have my, my gut level instinct is to think that I don't need anybody. Like right. I can do this all myself. Yeah. yeah. But that's just wrong. Like we can't do this all by ourselves. Obviously we need Jesus, but we, Jesus gave us um, a, a dependence on other people too. And that's just another thing that when we go through this whole act of uncluttering, we get to open our our hands to allowing other people to help us. And right. which is uh, just for me, that's hard. I have trouble accepting that help. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, it's good. That's really good. You guys. Yep. Anything else that you want to share with our listeners about like why you wrote the book or what you want them to get out of it? Why they should go get it? <laughs> <laughs> because this is the one area of your life you can have clutter. You should buy 10, 20, 30 copies of my book. And <laughs> <it> yourself. <laughs> no, the, the hope behind the book is that um, it would be the invitation people need to this life of freedom. Mm-hmm. And for some people, that'll be more of a closet issue. For others, it'll be a schedule thing. For some, it'll be digital clutter. But the book is not follow these steps and your life will be great. The book is what is God calling? you to? um, And how can you follow him in greater freedom? Um, And the book at its heart is really about joy. Um, And not in that same Marie Kondo way where your items should all spark joy. um, But in that way that when our lives are free and open, there is such joy. And that is what my life had been missing. I was feeling exhausted and overwhelmed and burdened. And that's not what God has for us. There are seasons of life that are harder. Uh, You had twins. I'm guessing they're about six months of your life you don't remember. (laughs) Like two years, actually. But that we're not designed to live running on all cylinders all the time. Yes. So the book is an invitation to that joy and that freedom. Um, and if folks are interested, they can read the first chapter for free on my blog. Oh, it's cool. up there okay. to check out the book. And there's also a free study guide for groups or for individuals. If you want to do it as more of a book Bible study, it's got some scriptures and things that can lead you through the journey as well. Um, and we'll that's definitely available. link to all of that in yes. our show notes. We'll link Thank to you. your website and all of that. Everything. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Well, to yeah. all the social media you won't check and all yeah that. exactly I'll <laughs> won't respond to you but... <laughs> I'll get to it I'll get to it <laughs> it just won't be instant reply so I'm assuming your Facebook because like you know in your Facebook business page it like gives the amount of time it takes to get a response and you're totally okay with the fact that it takes a while for yeah Facebook tries to guilt you into that trap but you know Thank I'm not you. a brain surgeon for a reason no one dies if I take a few more hours to get to it yeah this is what I tell my husband all the time because he's actually really good at like uncluttering most of his life and he's a very like simple person but when it comes to work it's just this constant need that he used to feel like he's always connected and I'm like I love you so much but nobody's gonna die if you don't answer that email like nobody's gonna die like nobody's gonna die and so anyways yeah like we need to remember somebody that's, they're not gonna die 
Yeah. But you might if you keep checking your email every minute. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> okay. Uh, any any other things? I just want to tell you guys a story real quick. It's a little embarrassing. So um, last Friday night, my husband left the house to go to a meetup with this other podcast he really likes besides Woven, which is his favorite. um, (laughs) (laughs) So I sat down on the couch and I was like, okay, I'm going to like just do a thing. I'm just going to hang out. My kids are in bed. This never happens. I never get time just to myself. I had like three books I just got on Amazon stacked up and I got on Instagram. And then three hours later, he walked through the door. And I was still on Instagram. It had been three hours. And I literally can't even tell you what happened. And I just want to say this because Rebecca and I were talking ahead of the this podcast, ahead of this interview about how um, sometimes those numbing behaviors just become habit. Like I was fine. Like nothing was wrong with me that day. I wasn't like having a hard day. But numbing had become instinctual so much that I just was like, well, this is what I do when I don't have anything to do. I get on my phone and I look at dumb memes on Instagram. Um, and yeah, it took three hours. I just say that because I feel like there can be some shame and I feel like we're all like, I'm the worst, but, um, I was on Instagram for three hours, you guys. And I don't, I don't even remember it. It's like I blacked out. So I just wanted to share that in case anybody's needed to hear that today. Yeah. Feeling bad. Yeah. 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 Technology is always the easiest thing. It's yeah. always the easiest, always the fastest. And yeah, we've, we've all been there. I, I fall asleep most nights with the office playing in the background. Yeah. It's so it soothes me. that's awesome Jim and Pam are actually my friends I don't know if you knew that exactly the one where he's like do you want to get dinner it's a date (laughs) and she tears up yeah I even turned the screen off I've seen it enough that I can picture it in my head while I fall asleep yeah (laughs) it's weird it's like my yeah anyway I'm very spiritual be like me (laughs) well thank you so much Courtney Courtney. this has been awesome yeah it's great thanks for having me yeah bye